All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'm going to pull up my notes here. So I was scrolling through Facebook uh, just um, last week when this when this satanic convention was happening. And I first heard about it when, uh, when last Sunday, um, my pastor was giving his sermon and he was like, right now, as this, you know, as this service is happening, a satanic convention is happening in Boston, Massachusetts. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting and uh and then the next day or the day after um i was scrolling through facebook and let's see hold up main trend and um this this post came up by sean foyt uh while they were gripping pages out of the bible to kick off the largest satanic gathering ever SatanCon in Boston, over 98 attendees surrendered their lives to Jesus, it's verified, uh, from covert evangelists infiltrating the crowd. So I was like, I was ecstatic to hear that. I was like, holy cow, there's, there's people that are, uh, that are bold enough in their faith to infiltrate a satanic convention dedicated to uh, spreading the gospel of Satan um, and spreading the works of Satan, uh, and 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 um, the objective is to is to gather together people that are like ma- like minded um, in in that theology and that, uh, in that, in those beliefs and, um, and people are, people of the Christian faith are bold enough and courageous enough to go behind enemy lines and spread the gospel. I'm just going to be upfront and honest with you right now that, um, I am not bold enough dare I say ballsy enough, okay, <laughs> to, to go behind enemy lines like that. I mean, to actually go into a, you know, a Satanist convention. Actually, I will, I will, um, I will verify, though, that this wasn't a Satanist convention. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But I am not... Okay, I'm not bold enough in my faith right now uh, to to infiltrate a satanic convention full of people that have those beliefs and practice those practices um, to spread the gospel. I just, I'm working my way there. I, I will eventually have, have that, have that boldness of faith, but that just, that makes me sweat just thinking about it, honestly, honestly. Um, but the fact that, that these selected individuals, that these selective individuals have, have the, have the boldness and the, and the, and the, and the encouragement or the, the courageousness to, to go behind enemies, enemy lines like that, Shout out to them because that is not an easy task. Um, and that brings about a certain, um, almost panic. Like it, it brings about a certain, um, uh, passion and, and zeal for the gospel um, to be able to 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 go into the enemy camp and and preach the gospel where um, these the, these certain groups of people or a certain group of people is totally against it. Like it's one thing to go to an Amazonian tribe 
or a tribe in, let's say, Africa, where the gospel has not even been heard before ever. That is a totally separate religion or, or set of beliefs. It's one thing to go to them and preach the gospel, okay? Because either they're going to reject it, they're going to take it and then just, you know, throw it out, or they're going to accept it, right? It's one thing to do that, but it's one thing to actually go into uh, go into the camp of a people, a certain group of people that actually believe the exact opposite of what the gospel preaches and but knows what Christianity is and what the gospel preaches and actually, you know, preaches the opposite of it. Um, and so you're dealing with uh, people that are under the influence of the enemy, not God, right? Um, and so, it, you know, in, in certain aspects, yes, it's the same as going into like an Amazonian tribe and preaching the gospel to them for the first time, but they haven't heard of the gospel in any sort of way before. People who are either from the satanic temple or from the church of Satan, which we'll get to in the second of what the difference between those two things are. Um, they have a certain knowledge of God and they have a certain knowledge of the gospel. Um, so that when they, when they reject the gospel, they actually reject Christ because they're saying no to him. Right. And so, I'm actually going to go into um, into what the uh, what the definition or the di or the difference between the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan is. So the two organizations, and this is this is taking off of Quora um, dot com or dot org. I don't forget what it is, but it's basically a um, an information database. Um, people ask questions and people give answers. Um, and so this is from, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but anyways, the two organizations are very different in a number of ways. Uh, first, their common ground, both the Church, of, Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple are atheist religions. Actually, I want to debunk that right there. The, the, the satanic temple may be, okay, atheist, or they might base their beliefs off of atheistic beliefs, okay? But the church of Satan is not strictly atheist, because what atheists mean, to be atheistic means to not believe in any sort of religion or any god. That is atheistic. Um, but with the Church of Satan, uh, who was founded by um, uh, Anton uh, LaVey, he, uh, this, the, the Church of Satan actually worships the devil. Now, they may not say that they do directly, but in their practices and in their in their theology and beliefs, they do. They do worship uh, the devil through rituals, through practices, um, and through their different religious beliefs. Um, the Church of—now, let's go through this. The Church of Satan was created in the late uh, 1960s when Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible, the main corpus of the text um, for the group. Uh, philosophically, the group embraces hedonism and ethical uh, egoism and draws on the writings like um, Ayn Rand, uh, Might is Right by Regnar uh, Redbeard, and some readings of uh, Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Well, not, not believing in a literal Satan, um, which... If you're Christian, 
uh, you will know that Satanists or people of the Church of Satan, um, they, they do. Um, in their practices and in their beliefs, they do worship a Satan. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, they do believe in the supernatural. As the Satanic Bible teaches a range of magical rituals and their supposed effects, which we know are very real, and uh, they actually um, do harm, and they actually do, uh, they do, they are effective, okay? Uh, he said, I would argue that the Church of Satan is a large extent, defines itself in contrast to the Christian Church, and sees itself as a kind of anti-Christianity. Okay, so, what is the definition of Satan? Well, in the Bible, whenever the Bible refers to Satan, it is uh, referred to as El Satan or Satan, um, which means the adversary, um, someone to come against something or someone. So when you are an adversary, you are someone that comes against a certain beliefs, comes against a certain someone or uh, comes against authority, right? And so whenever you say, whenever you see Satan working um, in the Bible, he is always coming against something. So when he says in this article or in this post um, that uh, it defines itself, the, the Church of Satan defines itself as a contrast to the Christian church and sees itself as a kind of anti-Christianity. That is coming against the beliefs and the doctrine of the Christian church. That is coming against the deity that is over the Christian church, which is Yahweh, which is the God of ages, which is the one and true God. So this church of Satan, Satanists, if they are coming against one deity, they have to be for another deity. Correct? So they are for Satan. They are for the adversary. They are for the devil. So moving on to what the Satanic Temple is, who is in charge of hosting SatanCon 2023. The Satanic Temple was created in 2014. Interesting enough, um, it's actually created in 2013. Um, but the, Satan, the Satanic Temple is not necessarily a religion. Um, it is more of a community or cult or whatever. I don't know what it is. But it was created in 2013, relatively recently, just to, to 10 years ago, and does not have one single central written work um, like the, Sat or the Church of Satan does, which is uh, the Satanic Bible, and the Church of Christ does, which is the Bible, okay? Um, but a canon depicting their view of Satan as a narrative construct of rebellion against dogmatic thought. So basically against religion. Uh, this canon includes works by uh, Milton Blake, um, something, something. Uh, philosophically, the churches or the satanic temple emphasizes rationalism, uh, personal freedom, and, com uh, and compassion. Uh, you can go and read their central tenets of, of, uh, and, learn, and learn more about that. So, you know, go do your research about that. And when you actually look at the Satanic Temple tenets and their and their core beliefs, uh, which is I think around ten or so beliefs or like eight or ten, um, they are very, very uh, neutral. They are very actually positively based. Okay, and um, which, when in comparison to Christianity, is actually very. Um, misleading uh, because their their actual underlying beliefs and practices are masked by these overall beliefs. Same with the Church of Satan. You know, the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple have do one have one thing in common, and that is um, when they introduce themselves, 
to the world, they introduce themselves as um, an adversary, sorry, not adversary, an advocate for those who are uh, who are in the minors or who are who are minor uh, minors um, demographically, you know, so they 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 come in swooping under under, you know, the minorities um, they come in um, when it comes to, you know, ethical and, you know, certain things. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, I'm going to be surprised if, you know, same thing with like, for example, BLM. Okay, let's let's take BLM, Black Lives Matter movement, for for example. You know, they they come across to the world as as something positive, but you look underneath, and it's something very opposite. Um, they are they they actually uh, their underlying beliefs are very um, toxic, and um, and they actually. Uh, cause people to create more destruction than they do the building up and growth of uh, of 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 humans and 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 morale and overall morale in society. The built up, the building up and growth of society. So that is one thing. The main thing that the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple have in common is that they come across as positive and as something. Uh, for the betterment of society, um, a sort of unification for people, uh, unifying of beliefs to come together and to um, and to try and make society better and to resist religion and to resist big government and and um, and you know um, dictatorship and and you know and authority. They really come against authority, right? Um, and they they really popularize those beliefs but then when you actually get into the nitty-gritty uh underlying beliefs of these systems it's actually very much against morale it's actually very much against um what we really should be standing for um in society um and so that is that is the mask that these uh that these entities are are standing behind, and so um, it's it's very um, uh, what's the term? Um, um, anyways, I forget what what the word I was trying to use, but um, anyways, so but back to the main main topic I was going to discuss about, you know. The whole Satan Con 2023 and and the whole convention um, is the fact that it got infiltrated by Christians and and that's so cool that people are willing to go behind enemy lines like that go behind uh, go into the enemy camp and really uh, be bold about their faith and and come against that. Um, that those demonic spirits and evangelize the gospel to to the lost, um, and and these these people are 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 really the lost ones. They are they are, I would say, the ultra lost. Everyone is lost who do not believe in in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the people who have a mission to come against the gospel itself and to tear apart the beliefs and the system of, of Christianity. Um, those, those are the, those are the real ones because those are the ones we, we really have to, to, uh, to, to go after because those are the ones that are, that have already decided in their heart to go against salvation, to, to reject salvation, to reject the gospel, to reject the truth. Unlike people who are neutral out there who have not even heard the gospel or are unsure or are on the fence, they're neutral. They, they have not decided one way or another. But like we all know, 
the fence does belong to Satan, does belong to the devil. Because if even if you're not sure about salvation, even if you're not sure about Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross for every living, breathing, um, uh, past, present, and future human being, uh, and what he did for them on the cross, um, to be neutral about it and to be unsure about it is the same same thing as saying no. Um, and so we have to be very, uh, we have to be um, bold and passionate in our hearts to go after the lost, whether they are neutral or or on the far left of things where, you know, they, they outright reject the gospel um, to begin with. Um, but, you know, both are the same, have the same worthiness of, the cross and what Jesus did. Um, but it's one thing to actually go after the ones that, that have already settled in their hearts to reject Christ and to see that turnaround, to see that, um, that, uh, 180 going from worshiping Satan to worshiping the living God is just, it just stirs something in my heart and it actually makes me more, more bold and, and encouraged to, um, to go after the loss and to continue putting out this content and, and reaching those lost souls. Because, because if I can, um, if I can read my word more, if I could, um, if I could study theology more and really establish my faith on a foundation that I, that I believe in and that I exercise daily, at least try to, we're not all perfect guys. Um, you know, um, but try to practice and, and live a lifestyle, um, that is reflective of the things that we read in our, in our Bible, the living, breathing word of God. Um, this, this whole scenario, this whole situation just encourage me, encourages me more to, to, to really um, uh, have a solid foundation in my faith. Because we all know that if we try to go into the enemy's camp without the right tools, without the right weapons, and without the right words to say, um, that is backed by the word of God and, and, a, and a, a, a deep faith in, in the works, in the finished work of the cross. If we don't have that foundation, we can go into the enemy camp and just be completely decimated, right? Because we don't have that foundation. It's like, would you send a new believer straight into the center of the enemy camp? You wouldn't. Um, logically, in warfare, you just wouldn't, send a brand new scout or a brand new, um, you know, uh, a, a brand new soldier, uh, uh, to, to go on a, on a spy mission into the, into the center of the enemy to infiltrate the enemy. You just, that doesn't, it's not logical. Um, now <laughs> I could go into warfare, but that's the thing is I don't know much about it, but I do know that logically, um, that you just want to do that. Right. And so you, in order to, in order to go into the enemy's camp, um, as a Christian, you need to be, um, your, your, your faith needs to be deep and your, and, and your, um, your, uh, theology needs to be sound and you need to be rooted in the word as your foundation um, to be able to come against the principalities that are in direct, um, indirect, uh, um, man, I'm just losing my words today. I just can't think of the right word, but um, they're, they're uh, coming against um, what, what you believe. And so you need to be able to stand up for what you believe in. Amen. Um, so yeah, so, um, 
I just wanted to hit on that for a minute. Uh, went a little longer than I anticipated. Um, but moving on to uh, my next topic for this for this episode, um, decided to do a kind of a split topic episode today. Um, because these are topics that I can't really just talk about in a five, 10 minute video or even a 15 minute video. And so, um, I wanted to actually, uh, do it on a podcast episode, but this next topic is, is kind of dear to my heart. Um, nothing hurts my heart more. Um, it is, I wouldn't say it's, it's more, it doesn't hurt my heart more than, you know, my, my compassion for, for the lost, uh, you know, for, for lost souls and for people to, to come to Christ. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely right up there with that. And that is the state of the church, the the division in, in the church. Um, with all that's happening in the world um, right now, that's coming against the Christian faith. You know, you see, you see all these, um, all these, all these things, all these events happening, uh, which are, you know, which are, you know, just a sign of the times, honestly, you know, a sign that, that Jesus is coming soon um, but all that's happening in the world, uh, you see certain things that are in direct violation of what we hold dear or what our core beliefs are in the church or what the Bible says, you know, some things that are happening in the world, you know, with the, with the, you know, the, the, the push to, to, you know, um, the push to, to make, you know, abortion legal and, um, and to make abortion okay to, to make, um, you know, uh, certain, certain things okay in, in, uh, in that affects our kids, that affects our children, that affects, you know, babies. Um, all these things that are coming against what should be our core beliefs as a church. Um, there's certain beliefs that are in, that are infiltrating uh, the church and we're not taking the stand. We should be taking a stand against um, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ the, the, the Christian church as it is today is more divided today than ever before. And that's just the blatant truth. Um, and, and if you think otherwise, um, then y you're, you may be blinded to what's happening right now. Um, you know, yes, the church is, 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 you know, coming together, uh, in, in certain aspects, but I'm going to, I'm going to go deeper here on why the church is, is so divided. Um, first of all, why is the church divided to begin with? It's because of two main reasons. The first one is pride. And the second one is the teaching of false doctrine and theology. Uh, think about it. The, the whole reason why, um, oh, let me go back to life here. The whole reason why the original church or more correctly referred to as a movement called the way, um, if you read in scripture, the church is actually referred to as the way because it was more of a movement. It wasn't actually a church necessarily, uh, became divided was because after the apostles died, um, or after the apostles died out, there became less and less accountability for spreading false truths. If you remember, um, constantly in the Pauline letters, Paul's letters to the different churches throughout, throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, world, he was always addressing um, 
uh, doctrine and and theology. He was always um, correcting the church, the, the the churches, the little churches at the time that were starting up. Um, whether it, it was it was in um, you know at, uh, Athena, uh, the 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 Church of Ephesus, um, the uh, the Philippians, you know, um, the Church of Corinth. He was always addressing the church, and he was always either encouraging them in something, or he was rebuking and correcting them in something. Right, and so it wasn't. Now it wasn't just his responsibility to do that. It was also the responsibility of the other apostles, um, and and the leaders of the different small bodies of, of, of Christ, the, the churches, um, the, the, the small, uh, sects of the, uh, of the way, um, the, the responsibility of accountability was dispersed amongst the apostles and the disciples at the, at the time. And so when those main leaders died out eventually and there wasn't delegation of accountability given uh, passed down from generation to generation um, accountability in the church uh, died out and so so as a result of that any small uh, any small church bodies who came up with some extra biblical practices that were not in alignment with scripture. Uh, and there, and there was no accountability there to keep them in check. They adopted those practices into their faith and over time made it into hard doctrine. Now over a couple thousand years, here we are today divided because accountability was lost and false truths were adopted as sound doctrine. Let me break the ice, though, and give you some good news. And that is the church at some point in the future, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, the church will come together again as one whole body. And that's really exciting that actually stirs a fire inside of my heart that stirs a passion um, to, to, to really, you know, do my part to get things going. Because again, this topic is dear to my heart because the, this, the, the status of the church, the, the, the division in the church right now hurts my heart because like, seriously, who came up with the idea or who, it wasn't just one person, it was multiple people, but who thought it was okay to take what was honestly for granted, to take um, strict beliefs, to take beliefs, the beliefs and teachings of Jesus, that he says, now go obey my commandments and spread the good news. Took that simple command and then started introducing different things, uh, different beliefs, different theologies, um, which then uh, solidified into doctrine. And so then now you have, now you have, the Catholic Church, the well, that was one of the original, right? The Catholic Church is the oldest denomination of the body of Christ um, compared to compared to the other denominations. It's the oldest church. Um, and so you got the Catholic Church, and then you have, you know, uh, the Protestant Reformation. Um, and then now you have a whole slew of, um, of denominations spurring off of that. The Protestants, the, the Lutherans, the, um, the Baptists, the Adventists, the, um, 
Presbyterians, you know, all the Pentecostals, the evangelical movement, and now evangelicals and the Pentecostals and um, the Reformed Baptists and all these different denominations. And I'm like, can't we just go back to the roots? Can we just go back to the first love that Jesus was addressing in, I, I do believe it was the, the, the church of either Ephesus or the church of Corinth. I forget who it was, but he was just saying, just stop what you're doing that's not scriptural and come back to the first love. Come back to what I originally told you to do. And that is um, uh, work out and um, actively actively uh, practice what I taught you and obey my commands and find lost souls and bring them back to the fold. Um, be fishers of men. <laughs> Go fishing for lost souls. What happened to the basics, right? Um, you know, why did we start fighting amongst each other and saying and introducing different beliefs that are not strictly scriptural and having the audacity to actually be like, this is truth. This is our truth. This is what we think is okay. And we're going to accept it as truth when it actually isn't. Um, and you know, we, and this is where the pride comes in, right? I told you in the, in the beginning of this topic that the reason why we're divided is because of two things, pride and the, the introduction and teaching of false doctrine and theology. So the pride is, is, is how pride comes into play is that when now, when we have correction, when we have people saying, this isn't right, you know, um, what you're teaching is not right. Um, and there's no, there's no leadership accountability. Um, people are saying, are rejecting, uh, the rebuke, rejecting the correction, rejecting the people who are trying to keep the church accountable and saying, nope, this is what we believe in. Uh, this is what we believe for hundreds of years or, or a century or whatever, or this way or that way. Um, and we're going to, we're going to keep it because we believe it as truth when it isn't. And so, um, yeah, so pride, right? Um, also the spirit of religion, right? The spirit of division. Um, the enemy loves infiltrating the church and creating division amongst the people, right? Scattering the flock. And this is the thing is that the enemy has successfully done this. And this is what, this is what burns me. This is what sets me on fire is that the enemy has successfully over centuries and over, over a thousand plus years since the church started with the apostles that the enemy has successfully infiltrated and divided the church into, into different bodies, smaller bodies when it should be one body. So I'm going to bring up a couple uh, scriptures here. The first is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And that is, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me stop right there. 
I'm just going to put it out there that now this belief goes along with cessationism. What is cessationism? Cessationism is the belief that miracle signs and wonders died with the apostles and died with Jesus. Okay. Um, well, Jesus is alive and well today, and he is still doing signs and wonders and miracles. So still, still going on people. Um, but one thing that goes along with the cessationist belief is that, uh, the, um, the ladder of, or not the ladder, sorry, the, the roles of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers also died with the original apostles, which shouldn't have been the case. Because with this, uh, with the succession of these roles and these, and these leadership roles, this keeps accountability in the church and this keeps the church from, from dividing. Um, so apostles and prophets and evangelists all have roles in the church. And then the only real, the only real roles we have in the main body of the church right now, uh, is pastors and teachers and evangelists. Um, but we have somehow thrown out apostles and prophets. Um, and isn't that, isn't that kind of weird? Right? Because the role of the prophet in the church is to edify and to speak the new fresh word of the Lord over his people, uh, to give direction to the people, to, to give direction to the body of Christ, um, in, you know, in moving forward and, and spreading, uh, and spreading the gospel and, um, and spreading the movement across the planet. Um, the apostles are, um, their, their role, the apostle is to, is to equip is to uh, our disciple makers. Um, they equip churches for disciple making. Um, they build churches and they help grow churches and they move on and they don't stay in one place. They move on and they plant churches. And so where are these, where are these figures? Where are these leaders in, in the church? Uh, right now, we only have evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the most part. There are some denominations who still have apostles and prophets, but not in the whole church, and definitely not over the whole church as a whole. So back to the whole accountability thing. Um, these leaders, these roles that Jesus, that Christ himself gave to the church— um, are for accountability. Because as you see here, it says to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. How can we say the body of Christ is mature and unified in faith when we have all these denominations who maybe have some sort of underlying unity in faith, like we believe in salvation and we believe in the finished work of the cross and we believe in the basics, which is good, right? Because whoever believes in Jesus and whoever believes in the finished work of the cross will go to heaven. Um, but what about all this other stuff, right? And so how can be... How can we be unified in one faith when we have multiple multiple asp or uh, aspects of faith going on, right? And it finishes with this, 
in verse 13, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I kind of have to ask myself, has the body of Christ attained the whole measure of the fullness of Christ yet? I don't think so. Now we get outpourings of the Holy Spirit and we give, we, you know, we get movements um, of, 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 of the Lord um, throughout history. We have revivals that happen and, and um, that is a measure of the fullness of Christ, but it's not the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to go on a limb here and I'm going to say that the body of Christ, that the body of Christ, because of how divided it is today, has not experienced the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, except back during the time of the apostles and the, and the beginnings of the church. Uh, because in the beginning of the church, there was unity amongst um, the, amongst the body of Christ. And then back then in the beginning of the church, um, they weren't separate churches. It was one church, different, different in different places, spread out in different places. Um, and it was unified under one under one thing. And it was, it was managed and it was, uh, led by, uh, the apostles and, um, and led by the leaders of the church at the time, Paul, Peter, um, and them being just to name a few. But so, so then it was one body. Now we have like different bodies of Christ when it should be one body with many parts. And this is the second, uh, second scripture I wanted to get to. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to, to this part right here. Um, or this, this verse right here, 14 through, uh, through 16. Um, unity and diversity in the body. Just, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 12, or 12, 12 through 31. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up or is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay. Now it goes into the roles of the different parts of the body. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, it would not for that same reason, or it would not for the, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, this, where, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed in the, in the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. As it's describing the body here in Corinthians, Paul is talking about that the body of Christ, even though there's different, you know, it's spread throughout, you know, the world um, as like little bodies, it's not to be treated as little bodies, but one body, and then each little church, like the church of Ephesus, a leg, the church of Corinth, a hand, you know, the church of, um, of Philippi is 
a foot or an ear or a nose. Every little, every, every little church that makes up the overall bigger church is supposed to be, has to have a function that serves the main body of Christ. Okay? Now think about that. Think of how that would have looked like back then compared to what it is now. Is each little church now serving as a separate part of the body with one, uh, with one function? Not really. Each little church, each denomination is acting like their own body. And some of them go as far as to say, I am the body. I am the real church. I, we are the real Christians, or we are the ones with the, the real truth, the correct theology, the correct doctrine, the correct practices. And so they are actually in violation of Scripture, where it says, And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. So you're having churches now who are actually saying, I am, I am either I'm not the body part that I have been assigned, or they're saying I'm actually the whole body and there is no other parts or nor are there other body except for this, except for us, which that's, that's heresy right? Um, that's going against scripture. And so I, I, you know, it comes to mind how many church, how many churches today, how many denominations, I hate the word denomination, right? Um, how many little churches are actually denying their God-given and God-assigned function in the overall church. You know, what if, let's say, what if the Baptists, okay? What if the Baptists, uh, Baptists' original role or intention in the church in the overall body was to be a hand? And they're actually saying and believing that they're a leg, or they're actually saying and believing that they're the body. And the Pentecostals. What if their role was a foot, but they're actually saying, no, we're an eye or we're an ear. And let's go with the Catholics. The Catholics, I'm the head. I'm... I'm, I'm the main guy. I'm the head. But actually their role is a toe <laughs> or a hand or an arm. You know, how many denominations are, uh, are going against their actual God-given role? How many denominations have actually taken the time to really pray and think what is my role in the main body of Christ? The unification of the body of Christ before the end times, before, well, we're in the end times, but before the second coming is not going to come into effect and is not going to happen until the different churches, the different denominations put aside their, start putting aside their pride and start asking themselves the question, what is my role in the overall body of Christ? Denying their old self-given role and accepting the role that God has actually given that church. And this actually goes for the non-denominationals as well. Because if you think about it, non-denominationals 
is actually a denomination. It's just a denomination that actually says, screw all the other denominations and what we and what they think. We're just going, we're just going through, we're we're gonna try our best to go with what scripture says and scripture only. But there's even some non-denomination churches that actually go against scripture. A lot of the time. Or they misinterpret scripture. Once you start misinterpreting scripture and actually saying, oh, actually scripture says it this way or, or scripture, this uh, passage means this. And putting money on that scripture and saying, this is what this scripture says. You have created a domination. You have created a theology and a doctrine around that idea and around that truth that you made up. One of the nominations um, or one of the, uh, you know, the non-denominational churches, um, the, or one of the teachings, sorry, one of the doctrine that non-denominational churches uh, uh, accepted and, um, and grew is prosperity gospel. Um, prosperity gospel started in the non-denominational church. Um, and that's, and you know, that's dangerous, right? Um, that goes against scripture. And so, but back to what I was saying, unity in the church is not going to happen until every denomination starts putting aside their pride and and actually questioning their role in the overall body of Christ and actually saying, I am not the bee's knees. <laughs> I am not the one church, but I am a, ch- a church. I am a part of an overall whole body. And Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head and every other church is a part of the overall body of Christ. Um, and honestly, the unity of the body of the uh, body of Christ is, or the the second coming of Jesus Christ is actually weighted upon the unity of the church. And here's why. Um, the, or should I say, the second coming of Jesus is actually dependent upon the unity of the church. And this is why. Um, it's until we actually come together as one body that we will be able to actually efficiently and effectively reach the four corners of the earth. And it says so in Scripture, in Revelation, that, or in Scripture, I forget where it is, but in Scripture, it says that the, that the gospel, the good news, will reach all four corners of the, all four corners of the earth. And until then, um, Jesus will come, will come down. So, my question to you today is how can your church, how can your denomination start making moves in the right direction to help in the unification of the body of Christ? What does the unification of the body of Christ even look like to you? And how can you move towards that? The, 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 the title of this topic that I put was um, Christianity is not a spectrum. And what I mean by that is Christianity should not be looked at as a spectrum. It should be looked at as a singular entity. It should be looked at as an actual body, as one community 
with multiple locations or multiple sub-communities, a part of one community, under one belief, under one, one teaching, under one set of beliefs, under one theology, under one doctrine. Um, and right now, the reason, the majority of the, or the major reason why people look at Christianity as not something they want to join is because they see so much division within the church. They see the, the main, the, the, the major reason why people leave the faith is because of how divided it is. And because they go to one church and that church believes something and then they go to another church and that church believes something that is not quite in alignment with the other church. And so over the course of time, that creates confusion and division amongst the body of Christ. What is truth and what is not? When the simple fact is that the truth is right in Scripture. But if you compare Scripture, which should be the foundation of any theological discussion, which should be the foundation of any doctrinal thought, when that foundation, when Scripture is not quite in alignment with what a certain denomination believes, that's where it's not okay. And that's what creates division and that's what creates confusion in the body of Christ. Um, so yeah, uh, I just wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts are on this. Um, do you guys think that the church is divided? Uh, do, you know, what do you, th um, here's a, here's a question. What do you think your church, not necessarily your denomination, but your church, um, what do you think your church's role is in the whole body of Christ? Um, I have people listening to my podcast that are from multiple churches. Um, and I know that I know that some people listen to my podcast and watch my channel that are from the two churches that I serve at on a, on a weekly basis. I go to two churches. I go to Hungry Generation, which is a Pentecostal, evangelical-rooted church. Um, they are uh, technically a part of the Assemblies of God, even though we're kind of like the black sheep of the Assemblies of God, only because, you know, we do things a little bit differently um, compared to what the Assemblies of God, mo you know, mainly practices. But, um, and I go to uh, also a Seventh-day Adventist church. You know, I, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I also grew up in the Catholic church. My dad was Catholic and my mom was Seventh-day Adventist. Um, and now I serve in, in both churches. I serve in the SDA church on Saturdays and I serve in, uh, in hung, at Hungry Gen on Sundays. Um, anyways, that's beside the point. I know that there are some people listening to my podcast that are from both churches. I, um, I ask of you right now, what can your church or what is your church's role in the overall body of Christ? SDA church. Are you an arm? Are you a leg? What are you? Hungry generation. Are you an arm? Are you a leg? Are you an ear? Are you an eye? Or are you a toe? 
what is your function in the overall body of Christ? I think that is one of the most important questions a church or the body of Christ should ask themselves. What is their role? What is the individual church's role in the overall body of Christ? All right, guys. I think, I think that's a good note to end on. If you guys enjoyed this episode, go ahead and give this episode a, a thumbs up. Go ahead and give this live broadcast a thumbs up. Uh, share it with your friends. Um, I will, in the editing process, I will be dividing uh, the this episode into two parts. Uh, one about the um, Christian infiltration of the Satanist convention. And then I will also be... Uh, uh, doing uh, splitting into an, into the episode talking about uh, the state of the Christian church um, and the division in the church. So again, if you like this episode, please give this a thumbs up um, and subscribe to the channel. And if you're watching on Facebook, go ahead and, uh, and click that follow button um, if you haven't already uh, and click subscribe if you're on YouTube so that you can get updates on when I go live and uh, when I post new content. All right, guys, better is not good enough. The best is yet to come. Uh, until next time, stay bold, stay encouraged, stay humble, and stay faithful to the word of God that is the same today, yesterday, and forever and will never change. The Bible, the true word and living word of God will never change and it should not be taken for granted. It is the foundation of what we believe in and should not be changed or altered in any sort of way. Amen? See you guys next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Reflecting End Podcast. If this episode blessed you in any way, please leave a review either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash reflecting him. Until next time, stay humble, strong, and courageous.